0: surprise you, that today's sermon is going to be a little bit more PG than I typically am. And that is not because of any vulgarity, that is not because of anything uh, unsavory or uncouth, but that is just simply because the topic that we will be getting into is of a more mature topic. So, that's, that's up front, and we'll, we'll get, I'll let you know a little bit more in just a second about what exactly that is. Just know that as we progress, as I see, uh, it may be something that if there are little ones either watching online or little ones here, just, just be forewarned. It's a little bit more mature today than typical, but I will do my best Uh, to still keep it in the realm of comfort. So without uh, anything else, let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for an opportunity to search for truth in your word. I pray that as we open up inspired writings, that we would find your will for us and not insert our will for you. So I pray for discernment. I pray for clarity of thought and clarity of words. Speak through me today in your name. Amen. Amen. Last weekend, in case you didn't know, was the Kentucky Derby. Now, as someone who lived for 13 years in Lexington, Kentucky, I was surrounded by horse culture. Uh, In the state of Kentucky, there are two primary race tracks. One is Churchill Downs in Louisville, where the Derby happens, and the other is Keeneland horse track in Lexington. Uh, Keeneland, every year, two months out of the year, horse races, horse sales, uh, people from all over the globe flew into Lexington on double-decker jets in order to buy multi-million dollar horses. Uh, it was. I mean, you can't get around Lexington without seeing the horses. So last weekend was the Derby. Now, the Derby is important in Kentucky because that means now you can plant your garden. That's how important it was, at least for me, because by and large, I don't care about horse racing. It's just kind of the culture of it all. Has anyone here seen the clips from last weekend's race? No one. Allow. Oh, you did. All right. So we know about Rich Strike then. Have we heard of the horse Rich Strike? We've heard of Rich Strike. Last weekend's derby was historical. One, it started with a last-minute drop-off in one of the horses that was supposed to be slated to race. Then they picked a replacement, apparently at some sort of randomness, and Rich Strike was the colt selected to fill in that now empty slot. Now, Rich Strike didn't have any... Significant pedigree behind him. He was not a multi-million dollar horse. He did not come from a prominent farm. He did not have really anything of him to speak of. So he was an 80 to 1 odds at winning the Kentucky Derby. If you watch the footage, it's awesome. I don't get excited over horses. This was exciting. Because as they're coming into the last turn and the last furlong, Rich Strike is somewhere in the middle of the pack and then starts to, with incredible precision, weave through the horses, making his way up to the front, and by the time they crossed the finish line, I believe it was half of a length. And 80 to 1 odds beat out all the rest of them in the last stretch, and it was really exciting. Uh, Apparently, some people did well on it, and it certainly shot that owner and that jockey and that trainer right up into the top of everybody's interest. Um, unfortunately, he's not going to go for the Triple Crown. Last time I'd heard, they're going to skip the Preakness and go to the Belmont. So that's, those are the three races for the Triple Crown. Uh, stay healthy, better chance, and so on and so forth. What brought to mind when people watched Rich Strike do his thing during that race was the last time that people got this excited over a racehorse. 1973, Secretariat, Big Red, jumped onto the scene as, I believe, the last Triple Crown? I don't think we've had one since. We have not had a Triple Crown winner since 1973. And if you want to see some exciting footage, look up the footage of Secretariat. Secretariat defied odds, especially at the beginning. He was too large. They said his heart wasn't healthy. They said he was a slow starter, and he was. Slow out of the gates, picked up steam, and by the time he got to the end, he was the winner. And the most exciting one was the Belmont, where he won by record lengths. Do we hear a correction on some of our. Okay, so since 1973, two other triple crowns. Thank you for that. I want to make sure that we're, we're accurate. It was exciting. People people got it. There's a movie made about it. And if you if you go around Lexington and just kind of north of there, you can actually drive by the farm where they filmed most of Secretariat. Beautiful horse country. Rolling Green Hills and picket fences and the whole deal. But 1973 was also a year that has come back up in recent discussions for another reason. It's very exciting in the horse race. It's not as exciting, at least not for me when discussing uh, perhaps the most historical and monumental Supreme Court decision ever in the history of the world, except for maybe things that have to do with slavery. Roe v. Wade was voted on and the opinion put out in 1973, the early part of that year, overturning all of history's precedent, in allowing states to decide the topic of abortion and what they were going to do. Now, a couple of judges, the, the, the majority of judges at the Supreme Court, took it upon themselves to discover, to discover in the immu- immunerations and the penumbras of the wording of the Constitution somewhere hidden inside of the right to privacy, also not mentioned in the Constitution, Now, a federally recognized right to abortion. Now, I'm phrasing this in a very particular way because, one, the word abortion and that right doesn't appear anywhere explicitly in our country's constitution at all. And then, two, the right to privacy is also not explicitly stated in our constitution. There were quite a few... Uh, legal backbendings in order to find these supposed rights. But then they became, relatively speaking, the law of the land. So if you're keeping track, that is two degrees removed from the wording of the Constitution, this supposed right to abortion. That's the topic for today. Because a week ago, a little over, to almost two weeks ago, Almost two weeks ago, a leaked draft from the Supreme Court about a potential overturning of the Roe v. Wade decision was spread out. As of the leaked draft, it seems that five justices are going to vote in favor of overturning Roe v. Wade, and four are going to vote in favor of keeping it. That's what the draft seems to think. So here's your second warning. This is a topic that for some people might be uncomfortable. This is a topic for some people that maybe you like to shy away from or it comes close to home. Up front, I want to recognize that it is a difficult topic for many. Up front, I want to express some compassion and I want to express some empathy and I want to express... A non-condemnational and non-judgmental attitude up front. Up front, I want to recognize and I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. This is not to point fingers. This is not to be harsh. This is not to be unloving. This is not to be any of those things. It is, however, to look at this topic from a couple of important and relevant positions the most important being, how does the Word of God influence our relationship to such a difficult topic? Because I firmly believe that as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, it works in that order. You read Genesis to Revelation, you humbly submit to the Word of God as you understand it, and that's the worldview in how you respond to difficult, challenging, moral discussions. It's not the other way around. It's not what's popular. It's not what society says. It's not what the textbooks might tell you. When they conflict with the Word of God, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we start with the Word of God, and then we go the other direction. And so today, I want to take a look at the Word of God, because I don't believe that this topic is preached on enough from the pulpit. If you decide to get up and leave, you won't hurt my feelings. You won't. Uh, I would encourage you in your own time to come back to our Facebook page and maybe rewatch it. You can pause it, you can take your time, because I, I think we're going to go through a few things that are necessary to touch on. So, with that, uh, with that last caveat, let's move forward. First, I would like to dispel a couple of lies. One lie is that the church should not engage in in socio-political issues. That is a lie. If the church did not engage in socio-political issues, you would not have had good, solid, moral Christians leading the abolition movement. You would not have had churches at the front of the temperance movement. And even still today in some churches. You would not have churches at the front of helping to take care of refugees and the homeless and addicts, and the list can go on. Because every one of those are sociopolitical issues that carry with them a moral concern that the church feels obligated to be a part of. So it seems that if we are going to be okay with the church speaking on those topics, and the Word of God clearly leaning into it, then we shouldn't make a carve out for one topic because we just don't want to. So the church can speak on this. It's in the Word of God. The church should speak on it. So we will. Two, one that is just a more technical and and legal understanding of things. Um, If Roe v. Wade is overturned, which it is not yet, this is just simply a leaked draft. It is not the decision. It is not the vote. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, it goes back to its previous state of the states decide. It takes it away from the federal and puts it back into the states. It doesn't outlaw it wholesale. It doesn't turn it into a felony. It doesn't, it doesn't automatically do any of those things. It actually makes a more democratic process possible. By allowing the states to decide it. So please don't listen to the lie that says if Roe v. Wade is overturned, wholesale women are going to get thrown into jail. Don't believe it. It's a lie. Three. Three. The Word of God is very explicit about how we look at human life and the value of human life including when human life begins and our role in protecting and preserving human life. So we're going to take, a, we're going to take I believe, one, two, three of the most common um, reasonings spoken for in favor of abortion, and we will dispel them today. I do want to add that this is purposefully... On the topic of elective abortions, it is true that there are some women who, at the risk of their own lives, have to make a decision about furthering a pregnancy. Sometimes the pregnancy itself puts the lady's life in danger. And so in those scenarios, this discussion, please don't think that it absolutely applies. Okay? According to the Guttmacher Institute, who does the statistics for Planned Parenthood, the number one abortion provider in the United States of America. In other words, this institute is pro-abortion, so the statistics are the best available to support the abortion position. According to the Guttmacher Institute, we find that pregnancy that results from an incestuous relationship account for 0.001% of pregnancies. That the woman's life was endangered by the pregnancy is 0.065%. It's a very, that, that, that's a difficult, challenging, and sad circumstance, and it's a fraction of a fraction of a percent. For the woman that was raped, it results in a pregnancy in 0.085%. And then after that, it's the woman's physical health at 0.28%, the woman's psychological health was threatened at 0.29%, a serious fetal abnormality at 0.66%, that the woman aborted for social or economic reasons at 6%, and for no reason at all at 92-plus percent. And this is from an institution in favor of supporting Planned Parenthood. So let's dispel... One other misconception that we necessarily need to have Roe v. Wade or federally codified abortion rights because of rapes and because of incest or because of the mental health of the woman and so on. That is arguing from the point of the edge in order to make the point for the whole. Because I can assure you that any of those who are fierce advocates of this, if you were to say, will allow it for the edge, but not for anything else, none of them would be okay with it. No one. And that also doesn't bring up the fact that there is a huge percentage, a significant percentage of women whose physical health is threatened by the abortion, that women's mental health is threatened by the abortion, at a greater percentage than the pregnancy. true. The, The numbers do not match up that way. One argument is that abortion is okay or on the farthest extremes should be allowed is because the baby is just a clump of cells. Have we heard that phrase? Maybe. That is true only to the extent that you and I, as we are now, are still just a clump of cells. Just the fact that your clump of cells happen to be at an earlier stage of development instead of a later stage of development doesn't affect the fact that you are a human being. I'm a clump of cells. I just happen to have mobility and rational thought. I happen to have joint aches. I happen to sleep sleep. Good and not sleep good. I happen to experience emotions, joy and sadness and hunger and fullness and you name it. My clump of cells might be able to experience more than the unborn child, but that unborn child is no less a human than me just because of where it is at the stage of development. That is something like saying we can abort the child because they are just a fetus which is why we don't do infanticide because they are they are an infant, not a fetus. That's akin to saying we should be in favor of euthanization because they are just a senior citizen, they are not middle-aged. It's true. Fetus is just a word to describe a stage of development, not a different of kind. You cannot be a fetus in the womb of a woman and be the fetus of a lizard, or the fetus of a cat, or the fetus of fill-in-the-blank, an oak tree, I don't know. It's still the fetus of it, it's a human being. It just happens to be at an earlier stage of development than what it will be. Are we clear on at least that aspect of it? Along that line, the just a clump of cells, you might also hear a phrase, something like, it is just potential human life. Have we heard something along those lines? That at this earliest stage, it's potential human life. Once conception happens, life begins because the cells divide and all of that genetic code, all of that DNA mapping, all of everything is immediately in place at the point of conception. It is a better understanding that that is now human life with potential instead of potential human life. Because allowed to go through the natural processes, that earliest 1 to 2 to 4 to 8 to 16, etc. cells, should healthy bodies end up with a baby end up with a toddler, end up with a young person, end up with a, oh my goodness, a teenager, and so on. Generally speaking, and, and, and we're going to touch on a couple of the not generally speaking, but generally speaking, uninterrupted, a pregnancy results in a baby. At The not generally speaking is a result of sin. Sin in our world occur on at least two facets. One, our actions, lowercase sins. Um, so if you steal, if you um, covet, if you sleep with someone who's not your, your spouse and so on, those are sins, actions. There is also capital S, sin, the nature, that infection that goes through all of what is creation, presently speaking. That's the result of Thanks to our greatest grandparents, Adam and Eve, as the overseers of creation allowed and they opened up that door for capital S, sin, to infect everything that they oversaw. That's why we have mosquitoes, my friends. It is no fault of the elephant or the giraffe or the cat or the trout that they experience death and suffering. It is because of the humans that they experience that. sin. It is because of sin that now we don't just have babies and at a hundred and five percent success rate, everyone is born with all of their fingers and toes and mouths and ears and et cetera, et cetera. Sin entering into this world perverted God's creation. And that includes things like emotional, not emotional, um various physiological. Uh, uh, handicaps there 's the word I'm trying to find a good word the various the various physical handicaps, the various psychological handicaps, the various other forms of handicaps that we experience are not because we necessarily want it 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 's because sin, as gross as it is, has affected god 's creation so let us let us not try and think that uh, it is anyone's fault but Satan's for the sad reality of miscarriages or the sad reality of someone being born with a heart outside their body or too many kidneys or they're born blind or they're born with stunted limbs or they're born... That is not the parent's fault. That is not God's fault. That is Satan's fault from way back when all the way to today. It's a very sad reality, but it is The reality. And one thing that is not often talked about is that we do not have a promise or uh, really should have an expectation of a life in a world of sin without wholesale, without suffering. That's not going to be a reality until we are glorified and walk in the streets of gold. Toughness is the norm in a sin-filled life. Difficulty, challenge, hurdles, hurt, pain, death, loss, you name it, suffering, writ sale, is the reality of this world. And there's nothing we can do to completely get away from it. And if I had a choice between risking some suffering for my child versus I'm going to end their life so they don't have to risk some suffering... For me, the choice is easy. I would rather allow the person the chance to live, to know their Savior, even if it means suffering along the way. I, I would rather see that. I would. There are, there are some rather sad positions where, where some of these activists, um, and, and speaking of activists, um, it, was, it was within hours of the leaked draft When shrieks and shrills went up from the hardest of activists, the wild-eyed look on their faces and some of the signs and arguments means that the only conclusion I can come to is that they are demon-inspired, probably in a similar way to the demoniac that met Jesus and then hurled the swine off the cliff. Some of the reactions are that severe. That's where we won't go because that's too far for this setting. It's heinous, the reactions to some of this. The second argument that you might hear, the second argument that you might hear is that a person is not a person until they experience consciousness or, a, or viability. Have we heard of that one? Viability and consciousness. Consciousness is easy because when you go to sleep, you have a greatly diminished state of consciousness. It is against the law for me to kill you with a pillow because you're asleep and not conscious. Families fight each other over pulling a plug off of a ventilator because someone is in a vegetative state For years at times, with zero hope of recovery, they will say, No, I cannot unplug my loved one and end their life prematurely. Let let them be. That's consciousness. It seems that consciousness argument, the debate around personhood and consciousness, people narrow way down and they only apply it to the unborn. All other experiences of personhood, when it comes to consciousness, we say, no, you can't just kill a person because they're unconscious. Seems like we should stop the differencing, uh, the, the differentiation. Viability. Viability is an interesting thing because you will hear a couple of different arguments. We know that with modern technology, it is the year 2022, not 1922, not 1822, not A.D. 22. In 2022, at about 20 weeks, I think, is when they start to count a baby outside the womb, we can keep it alive and it could have a good chance at living. 20 weeks, that's only half term. That's mid-term. And that's with our current technology. Viability also has something to do with geography. Have you thought of it this way? If you lived one block away from Emory or one block away from the best institute in New York City, you have a greater chance of having a baby live in that facility than the backwoods of West Virginia two hours away from the nearest hospital. So where is is that discussion on viability. It seems that viability would be geography related. Viability can also be this. If if you've ever had a child or been around a newborn, just because the baby has left the womb does not make it immediately viable. If that baby is then just set there, how long will the baby live? Not long. My friend's not long at all. After birth, it's necessary for the parents to feed, to water, to change, to protect, to house, to clothe, to etc., 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 for multiples of years for that child to just not die. The viability argument does not last even past infant, past toddler, past middle school. I could take my 14-year-old right now, cast him out into the world, and say, go, be viable. Now, he might be able to eat and breathe and find water on his own, but he is not going to last long. That's why parents are responsible in the United States up until 18 years. That number was picked because, I don't know, 18 Parents are responsible legally until 18 years of age in the United States of America because it is recognized that younger than that, the likelihood of survival diminishes, 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 farther down and farther down you go. Two, or three, I've I've lost count. Speaking of viability, the vote that was just turned down that... Was an attempt at not codifying Roe, but rather expanding abortion, would have permitted abortion all the way up to the moment of birth. The moment, wholesale across the country, it would have overturned more than 500 state laws, and for any reason. Which means that the viability argument someone is going to say that the baby. At this part of the birthing process, while in labor, etc., to that part, a distance of one is not viable, the other one is viable. One can be ended and the other one needs to live. And the distance is only, I think we know this, maybe by anatomy. That, that, That argument should not hold water. It should not. If we are looking at the Word of God for our answers to these things and you would like to take note, we're going to touch on a few of them and then we'll get to our final point. If you would like to take note of this, Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. 139 is a beautiful psalm about how the God of heaven knows you completely and entirely No matter where you go, no matter what you do, he knows you personally. It's beautiful. If you ever find yourself feeling like you are entirely alone and God does not see you, open up to Psalm 139. And the verses 13 to 16 speak of God knowing you from before or at the point of your earliest existence. It reads like this. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That's those days. Before your days started to be counted, God had you named in his book. In his mind, he saw you. And if you were here when Elder Reed uh, preached a couple of weekends ago, one of his things was, may we see like God sees. Do you catch my drift? May we see like God sees. From the earliest moments and even before you were on God's mind. As Christians, that perspective matters. That should shape our thoughts and vision, rather than the other way around. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, a well-known quote for topics like this. God calling Jeremiah to his prophetic calling says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, Jeremiah was making the argument, I'm so young, I can't do this. God is saying, Hold on a moment. I've known you since before you were in your mother's womb, and I consecrated you for this. In other words, I'm with you from before your beginning, and I'm with you now. I'm with you moving forward. That's great. I love this verse. Going back to Psalm 127, verses 3 to the first part of verse 5, and this is a a connection to one of our core 28 fundamental beliefs, number 23, which has to do with marriage and the family. In our fundamental beliefs, we recognize marriage between the man and the woman and creating that core family unit for society. It was, it was directed by God, made by God, blessed by God, and so on. We recognize that in our fundamental beliefs. Along with that is families. Uh, the family unit, continuing the generations, blessing the young ones. And even if, if you are unable to have kids or you've chosen not to, you can still benefit and bless the younger generations. That's a part of our church's main beliefs. And it comes from the word of God. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Now, poetic language that just talks about a family is a good thing. It's a good thing. And it's not talked like that uh, often in today's society. You will will hear words like, the baby is an enemy to me. That child is going to keep me from accomplishing things. Uh, Some of it it is is even more stark than that. We've gotten to a point where for those in favor of the more activist-minded they look at an unborn child as an enemy to fight against rather than a blessing of the Lord to propagate and to promulgate and to support and to love and cherish and protect. Uh, that does not seem to be the making of a healthy society when our younger generations are viewed as enemies. To be denied, to be rejected, it does not seem to be a healthy society. Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Now, there's a a secondary theological meaning to that in in regards to God-wanted All of creation to be on his side. That was his purpose. That's why the sacrifice of Christ covers all, including those who reject him. It's not for the elect versus the reprobate. We reject that in the Adventist church. Christ's sacrifice was whole and complete for all of humanity. Even the lost, Christ bled for them. That's an incredible consideration. But that plan was made before the foundation of the world. God had you in mind if we take all of these verses together. The last main speaking point, perhaps the most famous one for someone who is pro-abortion, maybe we've heard of it, my body, my choice. My body, my choice at a base logical and rational thought if you've already understood that at the moment of conception you have you have human being with potential human life with potential right the only way that it can be human life with potential is if that human life is its own of itself its own separate DNA code from the mother, its own separate genetic makeup from the mother. It is not normal for women to have 5, 10, 15, 20 fingers, 20 toes, 4 legs, 4 arms, 2 noses, 2 hearts, 4 kidneys, etc., etc., that, that, that does not happen, and if it does happen, that's usually a, a, a different type of medical condition. But when a lady gets pregnant, we understand at our base level of, non, of knowledge and understanding that it is different from her. It is. The baby needs the mother's body to grow and to live and to be sustained and to be protected until the time of birth, but that does not make the baby her. Do we see what I'm saying? If it were to be entirely my body, my choice, and we meant those words as they were, I would say, okay. Okay. Because before the time of conception, do we realize how many choices have to be acted on that only involve the woman's body? Quite a few. Shall I date? Shall I get intimately involved with a man? Is it someone that I'm going to be married to? Is it purposeful? Is it whatever? There are actions. Should should we be using protection of other options, a plethora of them, many of which are free? Choices ahead of the act. If it were truly my body, my choice, and we truly stuck with that, I would say, okay. But the moment you put another person into the equation, which the unborn child is, it's no longer her body. It's no longer that. And she should not be allowed to act as if it were. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. At the end of a passage about sexual immorality. So it fits for the discussion. At the end of a passage about sexual immorality, we hear this. Or do you not know? So this is, this is God saying, you just, you just can't go about doing whatever you want with your bodies in, in, a, in, a, in an intimate way. You just can't even do that. And then he says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The Christian rejects the idea that our bodies are our own to do whatever we want with entirely and completely. You were created... You are here because, in the great scheme of things, God saw fit to either purposefully create you or allow you to be. God is all controlling and all powerful and all knowing, etc. And then, two, because we are born into a fallen state, Christ's blood redeems us from that. We are bought with a price. Twofold, God has claim over you, and that includes your body. That's why you find elsewhere in Scripture, you don't just get to drink what you want or eat what you want. That's why when it comes to recreation choices, I might think that we would shy away from ones that can certainly enhance the likelihood of broken bones or death. We should choose more uplifting recreation instead of damaging recreation. Our body is not our own. It is bought with a price. You cannot, as a Christian, make the argument, my body, my choice, because God has said twice, you belong to me. You belong to me. Which means that at some point, how we use what we are given, how we use what belongs to someone not our own, means that we will be held in account. We don't like to think of that, but the Bible speaks to that. You were bought with a price. I'm glad that God bought me with that price. I am thankful for that. I am thankful for that because not only do I have hope in eternal life with my Lord and my Savior, but I also have the assurance of a help in victory over sin in the here and the now. He did it for me. I cannot do it. I'm glad that I'm His. On a society level, we also don't agree with my body, my choice. We have laws against putting heroin between your toes. We have laws against, we actually have laws against self-harm. Are you aware of that? We have multiples of laws that stop you from doing whatever you want to your body. We have prostitution laws. We have laws that completely throw this one-sentence claim out the window But like many of the other ones, they go, boom, right here, super narrow. That's where it applies. And it doesn't even apply. Many, if not all, of the arguments are wholly illogical when you take them and consider them rather than repeat them like a bumper sticker. If not all of them, 99% of them. Now, I want to talk just for a second about the one thing that I haven't talked about, and that's rape and incest. Personally, this is is Pastor Aaron Trelfa speaking only for himself. I know family members, and I have friends who disagree with me on this. I'm not speaking for anyone but Pastor Aaron Trelfa. I do not find in the Bible where the value of human life is based on how they came to be conceived. I don't find it. In fact, you can probably find Bible verses that support rape and incest and still the baby was born. There wasn't an excuse made for ending the pregnancy early. For me, this is my opinion, the value of human life is based on the value that God has given humans, not on whether a a pregnancy was accidental or desired. Because it seems to come down to those two things. When you, when you kind of weed through some of the other arguments, it often comes down to, was it accidental or do I want the baby? And for me, those two things do not define the value of human life. They don't. Again, many people will disagree with me on that. That, that, that is a more strict position even amongst more conservative-minded people. So in other words, I would not be in favor of abortion even in those arenas, even in those arenas. Now, I want to show you, I have a friend up here. I brought brought a, a, a visual object aid today. Do we know who this little guy is? Some of us have figured it out. The great American author, one of the finest pensmans of modern history, Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss wrote one of his finest works, perhaps his only, I guess, more political-minded writings, The Lorax. This is The Lorax. This is the protagonist of the story. We meet The Lorax when The Wunceler, the antagonist of the story, when The onceler shows up and chops down a cool tree named after my last name, the Truffula tree, because he realized that he could take the, the fabric, the leaves, the whatever was at the top, the feathers, however the top of the Truffula tree was made of. He could take that, he could sew it into something he called a thneed, and if need has many uses, and then he could sell it, he could make a profit. This was, this, the book essentially is an argument against destroying nature for the purpose of consumerism. That's basically the story in a nutshell. Well, when the onesler chops down the first tree, from the trunk pops out the Lorax, this little guy. Well, after some introductions, the Lorax says, I speak for the trees. The trees can't speak for themselves. That's my job. I am here to tell you, please don't chop down the trees. Later on, he speaks for the fish and for the swami swans and for the bears and for all of the other dispossessed animals from a forest being clear-cut. I speak for the trees. My friends, I believe it is time, like our Bible verse says, like the Lorax can inspire. We open our mouths and we speak for those who can't. I believe it is time that on a moral and religious and biblical foundation, and it very clearly is, we speak for those who can't. The church regularly does for the abused, for the fatherless, for the dispossessed. It seems that we need to speak for the most innocent, the unborn. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, it will not completely eradicate abortion from our society as much as I would like to see that happen. But hopefully it will take the number of elective abortions down from roughly 850,000 a year, greatly reduced. I believe that more life is a better outcome. And I believe that it is high time that God's people open our mouths for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. I believe it is time for God's people to open our mouths to judge righteously, to defend the rights of the poor and the needy. I believe it is time for God's people to speak for those who can't. And that includes the unborn. I know this was a challenging topic. Thank you for for sitting through it. If you have questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. If If this comes close to home, and we know what that means, I will pray with you. We will talk about it. You can share and it won't go any farther than sharing with me if that's your desire. We can, we, can, we can pray that God look on us lovingly and with compassion just like he does every other son and daughter of his. This is not an exception to that rule, but this should be a part of the conversation. So please, I I will make myself available. You can find my email and my phone number on the back of the bulletin. You don't have to throw that away right away. Um, But I'll make myself available. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you very much for your word. I thank you that it has led and guided your people from centuries of, of history past all the way to today's present time. Lord, I would ask that we be revived in its relevance, that we not think of it as as so ancient that it no longer applies, but that you very much inspired with the future intended. So I pray that we would look to your word to frame our worldview. Lord, I would ask that you come uh, come alongside ladies who might be facing a challenging decision or have faced it. Please impress upon them through the working of your Holy Spirit how much you love them, how much you want to heal, and how much you want to draw close. Lord, it's not the end of things, but it is something to consider. And so I pray that you would help us consider thoughtfully and according to your will. Lord, be with us the rest of today. May our time on your Sabbath be be reflective of you as our Lord in our lives. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.